Okay, Zephaniah chapter 3, chapters 14 through 20. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On the day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at the time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At the time I will bring you in, at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, twice this morning we sang the phrase hellbound. We talked about our own hellbound race and and how that you saved hellbound sinners, Lord. And, and God, we recognize the reality, the the earth-shattering reality of that phrase, Lord God, that that without you, without your hand, without your strength, without your might displayed in our life through the cross of Jesus Christ, Lord, we would all be lost. We would all be damned. We would all be condemned forever. But we're not. Those of us who have trusted in your name, those of us who have believed in you, those who uh, of us who have looked to you alone for salvation have been brought near. We've been brought behind the curtain that was torn for us and into the very throne room of God to seek mercy and find help in time of need. And so we thank you for that, Lord. You are greater than we deserve. You are more merciful than our sins could ever uh, deserve. And, and so, Lord, we, we thank you. We are once again this morning, as we stand and worship, we're in awe of you. And we pray that as we explore your word, that we would not forget these realities, Lord, that we are saved because of the might of a great and mighty God. So, Lord, I pray that you would help me today. Lord, that you would put reins on my tongue, that I would say only what you would have me to say and nothing that you don't want me to say. Lord, that you would bless the hearts of your people to receive the word as as an implanted seed, Lord God, that it would grow and that it would produce a harvest of 30, 60, 100 fold in all of our lives. And we thank you for this. Thank you for the honor of being members in your body and gathered together in Jesus name. Amen. You can be seated. So before I get started, I just want to uh, say thank you uh, for to Pastor David for letting me uh, get out of town last week. We and I had a great time and, and got to relax. And, and I want to say publicly, Pastor David did a fantastic job, which if you if this is your regular home church, that's not a surprise to any of you. Pastor David always does a regular a, a great job. And so I just wanted to tell him thank you. Um, I really enjoyed getting to listen to his message on Habakkuk. And uh, so as for those of you who are 
maybe this is your first time, we're in a series right now on the last 12 books of the, uh, of the Old Testament called The Minor Prophets. And today we're looking at the book of Zephaniah. And to appreciate or even to understand Zephaniah, it helps to know a few facts about this book, about its author. Zephaniah prophesied during the reign of Josiah, who was the king of Judah. We've talked about this before. The, the Israel had, had separated into two kingdoms. It was Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And, and uh, Josiah was the king of Judah. Now, the northern kingdom, Israel, had been defeated and dispersed by Assyria about a 100 years before Zephaniah wrote these words. And um, he is a descendant. Zephaniah is a descendant descendant of the godly king Hezekiah, which was about four generations previous to this book. Now, King Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, and his father, Ammon, were among two of the most wicked kings of Israel. They were bad dudes. They were terrible. And um, so, of all the men in the history of Judah that occupied, or of Israel, that occupied the uh, the throne of David, um, these guys were the worst, Manasseh and Ammon. And so what happens is that Josiah um, becomes king of Judah when he was just eight years old, following the assassination of his father Ammon. Now, when Josiah began his role, you need to understand the condition of what things were like in Judah. It was bad. Um, idols were everywhere, wall-to-wall idols. Um, they filled Jerusalem. And this was the legacy that Manasseh and Ammon had left to the, to the nation of Judah. It was the legacy of their wickedness. And as a consequence of this rampant idolatry, the temple was now in total disrepair. The law had been long neglected. The priests didn't even know how to teach the law anymore. The prophets weren't speaking righteously. And when Josiah was 26 years old, because the temple was the centerpiece of Jerusalem, and probably not for any other reason than that, he decided to launch a major renovation project on the temple. And while cleaning out the temple, the workers who were cleaning out the temple in in preparation for renovation, a priest named Hilkiah found the long-neglected book of the law. Now that book probably represented the book of Deuteronomy, which which the word Deuteronomy actually means second law. When you see the book of the law in the Old Testament, it usually is referring to the book of Deuteronomy. And so he finds this book and he delivers it to Josiah by the hand of a guy named Shaphan, who was the king's secretary. And, And Shaphan read this book, read the book of Deuteronomy to the king. He read words from God to Josiah that Josiah had never heard before. Before, even though he was the king of God's people. And, and the reason he hadn't heard these words is because they had been utterly concealed by the wickedness of his father and his grandfather. So if you can imagine this scene, he's reading through this book, reading through the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy and he comes to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you're not familiar with it, Moses relays all the promises of God, the beautiful promises of God that are, that are given to those who would obediently keep the covenant with God. But also in Deuteronomy 28 is a much longer list of curses that await those who would forsake the covenant through their own disobedience. And so Josiah was listening to this and he was literally shaken by what he heard. 
He was horrified. He knew that the nation over which he was king, the nation of Judah, was seriously, severely guilty before God. And so he stands up and he tears his clothes, which is always a sign of grief and horror and lamenting. He tears his clothes knowing that, that Judah is guilty of everything written in the book. And so Josiah sends Hilkiah to this priest, uh, he sends Hilkiah the priest rather, to a prophetess named Huldah, and he wants to hear what the kingdom of Judah can expect for their violations of God's covenant. He knows that God's wrath is kindled. He knows that, that, that there are some serious consequences in keeping with the terms of the covenant. And the answer came back just as he expected. Now, everybody open your Bibles. Everybody open your Bibles to 2 Kings 22. I want you to read this with me. I'll give you a second to look that up. 2 Kings 22. And this is what Huldah said to to the, the people that came to her from King Josiah. She said, uh, I'm sorry, verse 15. In verse 15, it says, And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord. Now listen, this is not the news he wanted to hear, but listen. Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and they've made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, listen, this is the good part, to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you've torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord." Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. Now, upon hearing this, this is what Josiah does. He goes to the temple and takes all the men of Judah with him and he read them the words of the book. The words of the book were read to him. He reads them to the men of Judah and and skip down in 2 Kings 23 now to verse 3. He says, and the king stood by the pillar and made it in the pillar in the temple and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. So he told them, he, he broadcast the news of how much trouble they were in. And the king immediately, he, he didn't just say, well, God said it's going to pass over me, so I'm not going to worry about it. He immediately made a covenant with God and he said, I'm going to do everything you have told us to do. And here's the good news. Josiah was absolutely true to his word. He launched the most thorough idol smashing campaign in the history of Judah. Additionally, he reinstituted the Passover that they had completely abandoned. He he, um, uh, he reintroduced the law where they had been completely neglected. He put away all the practitioners of sorcery in the land. He was 
cleaning house in Judah. And so this is the testimony. Again, 2 Kings 23, skip down to verse 25. It says, Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to the law of Moses. And nor did any like him arise after him. And I'd love to say, and they live happily ever after, but read verse 26. Still, the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. Though Josiah pleased the Lord, he was the last godly king of of Judah. The people returned to their wickedness. And in the days of Josiah's sons, after Josiah died, Babylon destroyed Jerusalem and carried her people into exile for 70 years. And this, all of this history I just gave you, is the backdrop of Zephaniah's ministry. Now, we're not sure if Zephaniah prophesied before or after Josiah's reforms, but he confirms in his, in his little book that judgment from God, justified judgment, justified retribution is coming on Judah. And, and there's this, there's this, this idea that the cup of Judah's iniquity is full to overflowing and a holy God can no longer overlook her. And with the expect, with the accept, exception rather of a righteous remnant, Judah has turned from God. And so Zephaniah begins like this. Verse 4, it says, I will stretch out my hand. This is God speaking. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests. Those who bow down on the roofs to the hosts of heaven. Those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom. Those who have turned back from following the Lord who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Now, we've seen this over and over in the Minor Prophets, but the idea is syncretistic worship. In other words, taking the worship of Yahweh, the worship of the one true God, and mixing it with the worship of pagan deities. That's a problem. And that's what, that's what Zephaniah is addressing. So hey, let me paint the picture for you. This people who had been rescued by God from slavery in Egypt, and they had been historically protected by God, they covenantally belonged to God, regardless uh, or or the, even even though all of this is true, they have remnants of Baal worship throughout their land, regardless of the godly king's reforms. Idolatrous priests, priests of idols are found along with Levitical priests side by side. The people are praying to the stars, the moon and the sun in the middle of a city where the temple of God stands. They swear vows to Yahweh. And in the same breath, they swear vows to, to uh, Milcom, who was an Ammonite god. As though they're shopping for a better deal. Who's going to take better care of me, Yahweh or Milcom? In fact, no one is truly inquiring of God at all. What they've done is they've exchanged truth for cultural acceptance. They're trying to be accepted by all the nations and all the cultures around them who worship other gods. They care more about fitting in than standing up in righteousness and distinction and holiness before the Lord. And because of all this, 
In verse 7 of chapter 1 of Zephaniah, because of all this, God says, I have prepared a sacrifice. Now, usually, when, when the Old Testament talks about sacrifices, people bring sacrifices to God. They dedicate their sacrifices to God, but not now. In this case, the sacrifice is originating with God. God is the one bringing the sacrifice. And he says he's consecrated his guest. This is God's introduction to one and a half chapters in Zephaniah of the day of the Lord. And on this coming day that's, that's pictured here, he is going to punish all of those who have forsaken him. This is the key here. The sacrifice he prepared, they're the offering. The wicked are the offering for God's sacrifice. He will bless those uh, uh, who belong to him and, and rescue his faithful ones, but those who have forsaken him will be sacrificed. In, so, so then we get into the biggest section of, of Zephaniah. In uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 8, all the way to chapter 3, verse 8, God lays out the depths of this idea of the day of the Lord. He's saying that he will pursue his enemies. If you look there in chapter 1, he talks about how he'll pursue his enemies into every neighborhood of Jerusalem. Whether you live on the ritzy side or the wrong side of the tracks, God is coming for you. He's coming after the sons of kings, he says. After government officials, judges, prophets, priests. He's coming after people who act like pagans in the privacy of their own home. The search warrant is his own holiness. He, he also isn't stopping with Judah. He's coming after the Philistines, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Cushites, the Assyrians. No one on earth, that's the point, no one on earth is going to be spared accountability to God's holiness. And Zephaniah 1.15 is a summary of this day of the Lord. He says, Zephaniah 1.15, a day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Anybody ready for a picnic? A day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. Now listen, don't let those words, all those graphic descriptions of the day of the Lord go right over your head. Listen to what he's doing here. If you were to turn, we're not going to take time to do it this morning, but if you were to turn over to Exodus 19, these are the same terms that Moses uses to describe describe God's descent onto Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. When God comes to give the law to the people, he lands on Mount Sinai, there's trumpet blasts, there's loud cries, there's thunder, there's lightning. All of these things are described in the same place. What is happening here? God is saying to Judah, you have broken the covenant we made there. And now he says, I'm going to return to you in the same way that I came to you the first time and I'm going to hold you accountable. So chapter 2 begins with a plea for true heartfelt repentance in the light of all this statement of judgment. Look at it. Zephaniah 2 verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. God tells the remnant that he's preserved to run to him, to find shelter in him. Now, I love the hope 
that is represented in that word, perhaps. It just drips with mercy. God is saying to those under a cloud of promised judgment that there is still something to grasp. There's still something to cling to under the shelter of His everlasting mercy and grace. What a great God we serve. This is so... This is so typical of God. Do you remember Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and he pauses as he's overlooking the city and he says this, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Listen, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under his wings and you were not willing God didn't come as some mean God to destroy everybody. He longed for people to cling to him, to run to him, to come to him. And they weren't willing. Well, it's the same thing in Zephaniah's day. In, 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 in Jesus' day, God's invitation was rejected. In Zephaniah's day, God's invitation was rejected. In, in uh, chapter 1, verse 12, God says that he will punish all the men who are complacent. Now, I understand what that word complacent means. He's saying that there are people that are too lethargic to do anything like repent to save themselves. They say in this passage, they say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. They stupidly believe that God is powerless either to judge or to bless. They assume that Yahweh will not judge them in their sin because he hasn't already. And listen, this has major 21st century implications. There are people that are just just so comfortable in sin and rebellion and idolatry to God because God hasn't done anything. They're convinced God won't do anything. And I'm telling you, the day is coming The day is coming, the Bible says, when the wrath of God will be revealed against all unrighteousness of men. Okay. Let's start talking about turning a corner here. Daryl told me that the minor prophets made me a hellfire and brimstone preacher. It's their fault, Daryl. It's not mine. Zephaniah has an interesting feature. It's a really interesting feature. So after laying out all these heavy proclamations of impending uh, judgment, just like all the other minor prophets we've seen, Zephaniah just very suddenly, very, very suddenly, switches to promises of a hopeful future for all people. Listen to me, all people, not just Judah, all people. And, and in doing so, he uses some of the most hopeful and joyous language found in the minor prophets to do this. So let's take a look at that. So this is the end of the judgment part. Look at Zephaniah 3.8. This is a summary of everything God said about the day of the Lord. Everything. He says, Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. Now, the judgment portion of the book ends like this. 
God is not commanding people to wait for his blessing. You know, Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. This is not that kind of waiting. This is more the wait until your father gets home kind of waiting that God is saying here. He says, wait for me. He, because he is, he, he, what he's commanding them to wait for is his indignation, his anger, his jealousy, his outpoured wrath, in the burning of which the entire earth will be consumed. And this will come upon the, uh, the gathered nations, the assembled kingdoms, not just Judah, but everyone on the whole earth. But watch, just watch this. This is amazing. Watch what happens next. Very next verse. Zephaniah 3 9. Watch this. Zephaniah 3 9. And we just read, it's coming to the whole earth. The whole earth's going to be consumed. And then we read these words. For at that time, at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. So, what is God saying there? He's gone from everyone's going to get it. The whole earth is going to be consumed to I'm going to do something brand new in the earth. What is all this talk about changing speech to pure speech? Well, what God is saying here, he's making an allusion to Genesis 19. God is saying he is going to reverse what happened at Babel, the Tower of Babel. Do you remember that story? There God confused all the unified speech of the people. They, 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 they were all speaking the same language, the same thing, and, and, and he confused it. And so now God is doing something new so that now the people of the earth will do two things together. Right there in the text. See, at at Babel, the languages were confused so that the people couldn't speak to each other in the same tongue. But now God is promising, out of nowhere, God is promising to change the speech of the people so that with one voice, they'll be able to call upon the name of the Lord. They'll all speak the same thing by calling on the name of the Lord from every race, tribe, tongue, and nation on the earth. All nations will share now in the blessing of Abraham. That which was dispersed will come together. How will they come together? Well, we'll see that in a minute. The people of Babel worked in unison. They labored in unison to build a tower to the heavens in defiance of God's rule. And God stepped in. But by this miracle he's describing in Zephaniah, God will once again unify their efforts, but not to build proud monuments, but to serve Him with one accord. First, He made them all speak differently. Now they're all going to speak the same and call upon the name of the Lord. And the Bible tells us, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Once he made it to where, because of the confusion of their communication, they couldn't work together. Now he says they're all going to be doing the same thing, serving the Lord. And this is the beginning of a series of oracles and hope for the whole earth. The shift of the tone in in Zephaniah is so dramatic. It changes so fast and so hard that some naysayers, some, some Bible interpreting naysayers have suggested with absolutely no credible evidence whatsoever that it must have been written by more than one author. Because he's going this direction in the first, uh, you know, two and a half chapters and this in the last part of chapter three. But what Zephaniah is doing 
is he's telling everyone who will listen that the day of the Lord is a day where the wicked will perish and the righteous will be rescued and redeemed. And this not only has immediate implications for those uh, who live in Judah in the day of Zephaniah and for the rest of the world at that time. It also have, has major implications for us who live right now in the end of the ages. Major implications. So what has happened? What happened that made this shift go from uh, the whole world's going to be consumed to I'm changing the language of the peoples? What happened? Well, let's go back again, flip back to Zephaniah 1. We're going to look at the verse I just alluded to earlier. Zephaniah 1, 7. Look at this. Be silent before the Lord. That is a statement, not because God uh, just wants to be heard, but he's saying, hey, you who rebel, raise your voices in rebellion, shut up and listen to what I have to say. This is what God is saying. He's calling for respect. Now listen to the last part. For the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and has consecrated his guests. So Zephaniah envisions this day where the enemies of God and the wicked of his, even among his covenant people will be the offering on the Lord's sacrificial fire. And this, in, in the words of Zephaniah, will bring about justice. But this is a picture, don't miss this, in the, in the Old Testament context, there's a shadow here of, of the New Testament. This is a picture of another sacrifice that God was preparing. One in which one man, just one man, would stand as the representative for every liar, every rebel, every, every insurrectionist, every infidel among the people of the earth. One man would stand as their representative. A representative for the whole fallen race of humanity. And such an offering would not only uphold justice, it would also allow for mercy. See, because Jesus was God's sacrificial lamb. He was the one representative who would take away the sin of the world. Do you remember John's disciples saw him? John looked at him, pointed to him and said, there he is, guys. That's the lamb of God that takes away all the sin of the world. The one representative He would be spotless. He would live a perfectly sinless life. And yet he would be willing and willingly lay his life down to be the recipient of all the wrath that all the world deserved on the cross. He would be the vessel that received this outpouring of wrath that would consume the entire earth. Romans 3.26, that this cross, this mystery of the cross is how God remained perfectly just, remained too holy to to, uh, allow sin, and yet was still able to righteously be the justifier of those like you and I who have rebelled against him. The best summary in all of scripture for what I'm trying to tell you is happening here through Jesus being the sacrifice of God to bring about justice and, and justification all in one move. This is the best scripture. Second Corinthians 521 for your sake, for our sake, rather for our sake, you and I, he made him, God made him to be sin who knew no sin 
God literally accounted all the sin of the world to him who never knew sin, who was spotless. And there's a reason for it. So that in him, we, you and I, might become the righteousness of God. That's how your sin was dealt with. That's how your sin was put away. And yet God still poured out his wrath on the whole earth. He just channeled it to one man. Though we can read Zephaniah 1, 1 to 3, 8 and see ourselves vividly over and over again in our unfaithfulness, our idolatry, our complacency, our rebellion, Zephaniah 3, 9 through 20 fills us with hope that because of a work by God and not by ourselves, we can still be rescued from wrath if we only cry out in faith for his great undeserved mercy. Listen to these words. I'm just going to summarize them for you from, from 3.9 to 3.20. I will change the speech of the peoples. I will remove from your midst the proudly exultant ones. I will leave in the midst of, in your midst a people humble and lowly. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. I will deal with all of your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. I will bring you in at a time when I gather you together. I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes. None of that said, you will, you will, you will. God said, I will, I will, I will, I will. God is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the one of whom the Bible declares salvation belongs to the Lord. And in this portion, God isn't telling any people to do anything. He's telling them what he's going to do. And how he's going to pity them in their fallenness. And be to them a savior. Be to them a king. Be to them a refuge. He is a redeemer and a restorer. But don't play games. It is only by Jesus Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension that we go from those whom God says he will utterly sweep away in verse 1-2 to those whom he will exalt over with loud singing in 3:15. Think about that image of God looking at you, looking at your life, his heart bursting with love for you and singing loud songs over you. Most of you, maybe even this morning, have an image of God with his hands kind of folded looking at you like this. Again, how many times am I going to pull you out of this mess? No. The Bible says because of Christ, Jesus has, has broken out, God has broken out into song over you. Loudly. So my question is to you this morning, of those two options, those who will be swept away utterly, those who are being exalted over with loud singing, what sound do you hear in your ears this morning? What sound do you hear? 
Do you hear the death sentence of God ringing in your ear, knowing like Josiah that you are guilty? In your unbelief, you've rejected the Lord's call to repent and believe maybe over and over again, knowing that in, in repentance alone is your life. Maybe you pretend like your words and your churchy religion to have a relationship. Maybe in, in those acts you pretend like you have a relationship with God that your private life loudly denies. To you who hear that sound this morning, I say to you boldly, turn to Christ. Stop playing games. Turn to Christ today. Don't think that your little religious action is going to do anything for you when the day comes to be judged. Only Christ can spare you from judgment. Turn to Christ. What about the rest of you? Do you hear the sweet song of the king as he sings loudly over you this morning? I hope so. And can I tell you something? I oftentimes make jokes about the song softly and tenderly Jesus is calling. But let me tell you something. The song that Jesus is singing over you this morning is not a sweet little lullaby. It is a victorious war anthem. It probably sounds a little more heavy metal than Mormon Tabernacle Choir. I'm sorry that offended anybody. It's loud. It's proud. It is, God is rejoicing. He is exulting over you with loud singing. The Lord is a conqueror who has redeemed a people he loves, a people he will bless, a people he will restore. That's the sound I hope you're hearing this morning. And what is this power? (laughs) What is this power that changes God's posture to us? His, his attitude towards us so completely. What makes the difference? Well, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left His glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. And in that old rugged cross stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. And to that old rugged cross I will ever be true. Its shame and reproach gladly bear. And then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever I'll share. And so let me just tell you, I will cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? Lord, I feel like I'm a member of a support group of former enemies of God anonymous. The, promise, the problem is I wasn't too anonymous, God. 
I was bold and blatant and proud of my rebellion and my resistance, my sin. And Lord, through actions not of my own, but only to your glory, only to your credit, you reached down and you saved me. You pulled me up out of the miry pit and set my feet on a rock. And Lord, I will forever love you and cling to you because of what you've done in me. Though I falter, though I, I stumble, Lord, I, I can never turn my back on you because of what you've done for me. Lord, I thank you for the song of your rejoicing, your loud singing over me. I thank you for every brother and sister in this building who hears the song of your loud exulting, your loud singing, Lord God. God, I pray for those who who you have rescued, Lord, but have, have been, had interference from the enemy to, to, to drown out your sound, Lord God. I pray that your song would pierce through all of that white noise loudly, Lord God, and that they would hear your signal, your, your sound of your rejoicing clearly in your word where you intended us to hear it, Lord. God, I pray for those that are still under a death sentence. Lord, I pray that they would re, that they would turn to you in repentance and faith, that they would believe in your name and be saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, even under a death sentence from God, will be saved. So, Holy Spirit, quicken consciences this morning. Call people to put their trust in you, to depend on you, to follow you in faith. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to receive uh, from the Lord's table this morning. So I would speculate that uh, an actual 99% of the times in my life that I've taken these elements in a church setting, the mood was somber. You know, we, we take those words from Paul very seriously as we should about you know, examining ourselves and thinking, but, but I think sometimes in, in our heavy emphasis on somberness, we miss the point of this. This is, this is a victory feast for us. Amen? This is a victory feast. Our, our debt is paid. This, this is a reminder every week. This is a reminder. Oh, yeah. That, that bill I racked up, totally paid. 100% paid. And, and I had nothing to do with this. This isn't my body. This isn't my blood. This was done for me. This is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Man. So we ought to turn this into rejoicing every once in a while, don't you think? God is good. God is good. He defeated sin, death, the devil, hell itself in that one fell swoop on the cross. And now people like you, people that Zephaniah 1.8 to 3.8 definitely applied to, I know it applied to me. Now, Zephaniah 3.9 through 3.20 applies to you. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad he quiets you with his love and that he sings over you? Aren't you glad that he, he is delivering you from all of his judgments? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Say it one more time before we partake. Put your trust in Jesus today. Do it. 
what on earth could you possibly be waiting for? Wait no longer. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake together. Now, can you in your own words just tell the Lord thank you for his body and his blood? Go ahead. Speak out loud. Just praise the Lord for what he's done for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for rescuing me from sin, Lord. Thank you for making me new. Thank you for delivering me from death. Thank you, Jesus, that you are enough. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't rely on any of my efforts, but put forth your own. We love you, Lord. Amen. If you would place your hands in a receiving position, I'm going to read a benediction over you, and then we'll be dismissed. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're dismissed.